everybody. Welcome, welcome. Another edition of the Fantasy Alarm NASCAR DFS podcast. I'm Dan Malin. I am joined, as always, by the two-time FSWA NASCAR Writer of the Year, Matt Sells. Matt, how you doing on this late Thursday night? Doing pretty well. I've uh, been a pretty busy, kind of chaotic week here for uh, NFL fans. I know we're just, the uh, Thursday night game, I think, is just about to wrap up uh, between the Bucks and Bears. Um, but yeah, kind of chaotic on that front. Uh, also been a chaotic NASCAR week. A lot of news came out this week. Uh, started with a really, really entertaining Talladega race that was marred by what I'm going to politely call a controversial call at the end of the race, um, that I believe messed up who actually should have been credited with the win. Um, but yeah, so overall it was it was a very good Talladega race despite the I think record thirteen cautions, if I'm not mistaken. Normally for Talladega I would say that's probably par for the course, but yeah, thirteen I believe is the record. Yeah. Now. And uh it was kinda it was kind of interesting though, because it seemed like cars were crashing but not really like coming off the track. Because every time I looked there's still like a full pack of cars out there and I've <laughs> and like except for Alex Bowman, his car was literally duct taped. Um <laughs> but yeah, that was a good race, and now we get to the Charlotte Roval. Well, what do you think of the double of the uh, the double yellow rule? So, first of all, let me preface this with: I completely agree with Dale Earnhardt Jr. that the rule should be gone. It should no longer exist. Um, NASCAR's reasoning for it when they put it in place was to limit the amount of crashes at Talladega and Daytona, because they figured if People would, if you would give them more real estate, they just keep going until they wreck each other into the wall on the inside of the track, I guess. Uh, but I'm not sure that that's the case at this point because, you know, there was 13 cautions at Talladega on Sunday. Um, yeah, basically, I... Okay, so it's a tough call because originally I wanted, you know, the, the people's favorite there, Matt Benedetto, to get the win. He rightly got called for forcing a guy below the yellow line. He forced William Byron below the yellow line. That was a correct call based on the fact that they had called Joey Logano on it twice throughout the race. Um, but the whole thing with Denny Hamlin, it's pretty clear if you watch the replay that he actually gains position by going below the yellow line. And yes, he was up on Chris Buescher when Busher and I think Byron uh, were kind of bumping each other. But he could have lifted. There was nobody really behind him. Uh, he also basically cut off the entire corner there, which I think is not in the spirit of the rules. And it clearly looks like he passes William Byron, if not another car, while doing that. Um, and the rule is that you're not allowed to advance your position by going below the yellow line, even if you're blocked uh, and Put below the yellow line. So I thought that they basically missed that. And originally, they didn't have Busher forcing anybody below the yellow line. So the argument was, well, if Busher didn't force him, then how can you give Denny Hamlin the win because he wasn't forced if you're not penalizing Chris Busher? And then about an hour after the race, they reviewed it, I guess, and changed their mind. So they took away the penalty from Chase Elliott for forcing a guy below the yellow line. And they kept the one on DiBenedetto, but then they gave a penalty to Chris Buescher 
which knocked his finishing spot back. So the problem I have with the rule is, A, it's subjective. B, NASCAR has been shown to not consistently apply the same rule to same situations. Even in this case, you can go through uh, the last, oh, I don't know, four, five, six years of plate races, and you can go find three or four instances at least in which they've applied this rule differently. Um, number one, they took a win away from Carl Edwards for doing basically exactly what Denny Hamlin just did. They took the win away from Carl Edwards on that one, but gave it to Denny Hamlin. Um, but then also, secondly, we're talking about the yellow line rule, and that's been the talk all this week. It wasn't about how great the last two laps of that race was. It wasn't about how it went to three overtimes. It wasn't about how instead of going single file for almost the entire race, like you normally see at a Talladega race, it was double file or three wide for most of it. So it just kind of mars the end of the race because now everybody's digging into rule books to go figure out, did Denny Hamlin follow the rule? Did he advance his position? Should he have been penalized? Is Matt Benedetto the winner? Or is the guy that actually finished third technically the winner, which I think was Eric Jones, if I'm not mistaken, uh, actually finished third, which now I guess he finishes second because Benedetto moved from second to 21st. Um, so, yeah, so that that's kind of my opinion on, on that one. All right, well, we'll turn the page, and uh, this is the last race of the round of 12, correct? Yes, this is an elimination race, and as crazy as the Talladega race was, this is probably the most wild card race of the entire playoffs, to be to be frank. I mean, if you just look back at what happened, what's happened the last two years, they've run the Roval. It's been they've been crazy races, mm-hmm. right? The first year you had Martin Truex Jr. looking like he was going to win until Jimmy Johnson sailed it into literally the final corner and wrecked both of them, and Ryan Blaney came across and won it. And then, not to mention there were crashes galore. I think somebody took out the sponsorship signs and got it stuck in their car at one point, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Bubba Wallace, actually. Um, and then the second year, Chase Elliott. Oh, right. And then the first year, they also had everybody like drive into the turn one wall on a restart because nobody could get their tires warmed up enough, and then none of them turned, so like the entire field piled into the turn one wall. Um which, side note, has the best sponsorship, one of the best sponsorships in sports. It's called the Rollades Heartburn Turn because it's basically like a 90-degree left turn coming off of the straightaway at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Um, and then last year, Chase Elliott did the exact same thing on a restart, drove himself straight into the tire barrier in turn one, wrecked, I think restarted 24th after the caution came out and then managed to drive himself back up to the lead and win. And that's where the epic uh, Chase Elliott tire burnout of him standing on the car and it going backwards and burning the tires out uh, (laughs) with like the gladiator pose came from. So the Roval has been just a crazy track. And by the way, there's rain in the forecast this weekend. Yeah. So how does that impact? uh, I guess a hybrid road slash trialable course, like especially with the chicane. So they have, they have uh, rain tires this weekend. They will have rain tires that they can put on the cars. So if, if NASCAR deems it to still be safe enough to race on the track, AKA there's not a lot of standing water 
they, you know, it, it depends on how NASCAR rules that if they if they deem it to be a wet track, then everybody has to put on their their rain tires. Mm-hmm. If they deem it to be, I think the other one is like a damp track, then you have a choice between your rain tires and your racing slicks. And if it's a dry track, you you don't ever touch your rain tires. Um, the trick becomes if they do lose the track, because obviously it's a lot harder to dry the infield section than it is the the uh, standard oval. If they do lose the track, they do not have enough lighting on the infield to run at night at the Roval. Okay. Normally, like with the Coke 600, we've seen them run at night at Charlotte, right? But that's because the lighting is on the oval. They don't have yeah. lighting on the infield portion, and obviously they don't have headlights on cup cars or Xfinity cars or trucks. Um, so... If it gets too dark, they would push the they would push the race to Monday, but that's a worst case scenario. So that's kind of how it lays out this weekend. There is a chance of rain. They can actually run in the rain because they have the rain tires, um, but that would make things even crazier because it's already a nuts track. There's 17 turns on this track. There's the really tricky chicane that they actually changed this year. It's like deeper and uh, than it was last year, so you actually have to make turns out of it instead of just trying to, like, turn it into a V. And also keep in mind, rookies may not have, like, they certainly haven't run it in the Cup Series. Right. Um, and we know from experience that Xfinity cars and Cup cars handle completely differently. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's going to throw some some chaos into there. And there's no practice, again. All right, well, let's just talk a little bit of news. Uh, obviously, we have some clarity on the 2021 cars. Uh, huge announcement came out today. Clint Boyer is retiring. He's going to the Fox Sports booth. You, you've mentioned it previously a few times in the prior pods. Uh, huge win for Fox Sports. And as much as I love yes. Clint the racer, he's going to be much more entertaining uh, in the booth. Yeah, a colleague of ours that we've done podcasts uh, with before, Chase Holden, Garage Guys Chase, uh, comped him to a young Daryl Waltrip in his enter- in his you know the way he explains things, his entertainment factor, the, the funniness, and I thought that was a pretty good comp. So yeah, he'll be in the booth on Sundays with Jeff Gordon and Mike Joy. So they're going back to a three-person booth there at Fox Sports, which is good because I thought the two-person booth was not quite that good this year. Um, so, yeah, so congrats to Clint Boyer on a great cup career um, and, you know, getting the Fox deal. We all kind of expected that to happen. Um, as for the 14, Briscoe. There's, some, there's some rumors. A lot of it is going around Chase Briscoe. I personally tend to believe it'll be Eric Jones that is in the 14 car. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's also some chatter about Kyle Larson going to the 14. I don't know that that happens at this point. I think Kyle Larson is actually going to the 88 car. Um, at this point, there's been some news about some secret meetings that happened with Kyle Larson in the same room as the head of General Motors and, mm-hmm. um, like, some other and, – and Steve O'Donnell, the head of NASCAR. So, um, Andy came out with a fantastic – apology uh, or apology kinda... or letter on his on his website i read it and it seemed pretty genuine yeah it's all about what he's been doing to learn from his mistakes and all the people that he's talked to and and 
And by the way, he's also been doing this since before he said that and talked about the disappointment that people had in him uh, when he said it. So uh, there is that. Uh, Daniel Suarez got a ride for next year. He'll be in the number 99 car, which is a new team. It's Team Trackhouse, I believe is what it's called. Trackhouse? Um, yes. Yes. Interesting. Um. It's being run by a former driver, a guy who's got about 20 years of experience in various levels of NASCAR. Um, they will be affiliated with RCR so much so that I believe the owner said that the first year they are in the Cup Series, they will actually share the shop with RCR. They will have their team housed in the RCR shop. So that's how affiliated they are with it. Um they will be a chartered team. So that's big news for Daniel Suarez. He doesn't have to worry about trying to qualify. The reason that he was able to run all these races this year is because they got rid of qualifying and they just said, okay, basically everybody can race. Go for it. But if you remember in the beginning of the year, he had to qualify into the races. He had to run fast enough times. Right. Because the Gaunt brothers aren't a chartered team. Um, that team is actually getting a charter from... Um, Spire Motorsports, which is interesting because if you remember, Spire Motorsports bought uh, Levine Family Racing's shop, yes. yep. right? So here's the thing. So Spire has two um, charters, right? Well, they're still going to field two teams. They actually got a third charter. They're leasing a third charter, and that's the one they're going to give to uh, Team Trackhouse, which I think is probably coming from Rick Ware Racing, but there's been no confirmation on that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a lot of the news. Uh, Matty D, other big news today. Matty D is back in the 21 car um, for the Wood Brothers next year for 2021. And then Austin Sindrick takes that car over in 2022. And then Matty D is going to have to go find another ride in 2022, but at least he has another year in top-tier equipment to go prove what he can do. The weird thing about the Austin Cindric news is that um, they did say that Austin Cindric was going to run a few cup races next year. AKA but they didn't... six road races. What's that? There are six road races on the cup schedule next year. Right. You don't think he's not going to be in the car for like Road America? Oh, I definitely think he will be, especially for Road and America. Any road course? Yeah, especially Indy Road Course. Um, but, I mean, I think that they'll run him on a couple trials as well. It Probably. seemed like Penske's statement made them made it seem like they really wanted him to get some cup experience next year. He's still going to run a full-time Xfinity schedule. They weren't yep. exactly clear on how many cup races he's going to run. But it's good to see Matty D back in the 21 because, I mean, hey, he could, like, stick with Penske for 2022 if Kozlowski yeah. doesn't renew right. that's his the contract. Other, that's the other rumor is that he that Benedetto could take over the two because Kozlowski only signed a one-year deal. Right. Um, and the other big news is that Alex Bowman is moving from the 88 to the 48, which we kind of already just naturally assumed because the 88 doesn't really have a whole lot of sponsorship, if any, uh, going forward. But the 48 is fully sponsored through 2023. Um, and if Hendrick gets Larson, you can guarantee that Ally was not going to be <laughs> an ally in that move. Um, so they put, uh, Alex Bowman in the 48 going forward. He will continue to have Greg Ives as his crew chief. Um, and William Byron will have a new crew chief next year. So that takes care of the silly season update at this point. All right, let's talk a little, uh, I guess programming notes, uh, 
track breakdown is up right now. We're recording this. It's very late Thursday night. Uh, playbook will be available Saturday, I believe. Yeah, it's a Sunday race, so the playbook will be out Saturday at some point, probably the afternoon, um, I would presume. Okay, and uh, there's no truck race this week, so I will have a full Xfinity playbook for the Saturday race. Just a heads up, and I'm going to note this in the Xfinity playbook. I'm not going to be in the chat up until start time for the 3.30 race on Saturday. Um, I just have some things going on earlier that Saturday that I need to take care of. So I will try to do as best of a breakdown in the playbook as I can uh, to leave you with as few questions as possible. If anything, I'd be in the chat around 3.15, which doesn't give much time to answer questions since the race starts at 3.30. But that's I will it. try my best to. Um, oh, thanks, Matt. Can't guarantee how much research I'll get done with the Xfinity, considering, you know, Cup, I got rankings and projections and Cup playbook, but I will try my uh best there to answer questions y'all got on saturday mornings all right awesome you want to just start breaking down the field uh yeah i don't i don't see any uh reason to put it off any longer love it all right front row denny hamlin at 9700 chase elliott 10,600 uh i feel like chase is probably the more comfortable play just a better overall i don't know do we call the roval a road track yes okay yeah he's a better overall uh, road racer. It has as, right as turns, so we're going to call it a road course. All right. Um, overall, much better road racer. Um, yeah, he won Daytona's road course earlier this year, right? That was, I think, his only one of two wins. Yeah. Um, out of the last eight. So in the in a quick programming note here, if you look at the track breakdown, the last four section is actually the last four road course uh, races run. So that includes the two Rovals. Uh, the Daytona road course earlier this year, and then the last Watkins Glen one in August of last year, because Watkins Glen is a much more similar road course to the Roval than Sonoma is simply because of the speed uh, involved in Watkins Glen. Um, but in the last eight road courses, which is two Rovals, the Daytona road course, three Watkins Glen, and two Sonoma races, Chase Elliott's won four of them. Yep. Very good. Very good. Yeah, his average finish in the last four road course races is 2.3. Um, he's got the highest driver rating at 132.2. And again, a perfect driver rating is 150. So that's a pretty high driver rating. Uh, he's also got the most laps led, fastest laps per race in that span. Um, yeah, he's a remarkably good road course racer. Um, he won this race last year. And starting second is going to give him a pretty good shot to lead laps pretty early and pretty often. Yeah, because I think he was on the front row for last year's Sonoma race, or maybe it was 2018. And I think there were 90 laps in that race, and he led 80 of them, which you hardly ever see. Watkins Glen. It was Watkins Glen? Yeah. Yes. Um, so, I mean, if he's on the front row, especially at a road course, he's, he's a very strong candidate to lead laps. And typically, this isn't a race, if you're building DFS on laps, you don't need to stress laps led as much they're nice but this, typically you want position differential but with chase on the front row i mean he's he's an obvious candidate to one win and two dominate the race yeah i mean yes laps led are smaller here because there's only 109 laps in this race though that is longer than basically any other road course they run right um but chase elliott 
led 35 last year. Kevin Harvick led 34 last year, and William Byron led 23. So basically, all of them were divided up by in you know to three drivers. The year before that, Kyle Larson led 47 of 109 um, laps, and two other guys topped 10. Um, so you know, road course races, yes, in terms of sheer point total, you can get from them. Not as high as you know your your standard oval races, but um, it still is a factor that you're probably going to want to um, build around. And passing is a little bit tougher here in terms of like getting all the way up into the top five if you're starting beyond that. So I think Chase Elliott's a perfectly fine GPP and cash game play. Denny Hamlin's a better GPP play than cash game because he's a He's a decent road racer, but let's face it, Chase Elliott's the class of the field at road tracks. Right. Um, the next row, we've got Brad Keselowski at 10,100. Kevin Harvick, just under 10,000. It's almost like we never see him this cheap. Uh, who do you prefer in this row? I'm leaning Keselowski just because Harvick doesn't strike me as the greatest road racer, uh, and I'd rather go back a couple spots and pay for a guy who's $400 more than Harvick and $200 more than Keselowski. Um, we'll preview him shortly. Uh, but for these two, I mean, they just don't really move the needle for me unless, you know, you can persuade me. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine with that um, thinking as well. You've also got to keep in mind that Kevin Harvick comes into this race 68 points above the cutoff. So he's basically locked into the next round um, if he just has a solid finish. Um, Keselowski's close. I mean, he's at plus 41, so he's going to need some points early. Uh, in the first couple of stages here. By the way, the stages are 25, 25, and then, I guess, uh, 59 laps. Um, so, yeah, I would go with Kislowski more on this one than Harvick. Um, they're both about the same in terms of road course racers. If you want to get technical about it, Kevin Harvick's more consistent. But... I think right now Harvick's pretty set on moving to the next round, and he's just focused on Texas and Kansas, which are two really good tracks for him that would put him in a championship. All right, next row, Alex Bowman, 9,000. Austin Dillon, 7,200. Dillon's a really interesting play, not the greatest history here. You don't typically think of him as a good road racer. However, uh, he kind of needs a win, right, to move into the top eight? Uh, Yeah, he's definitely going to need... I, I don't know that he needs a win, but he needs a really good day, and he's going to need some help. He's 21 points below the cut line, which is the same thing as Kyle Busch. So they could theoretically point their way in, but they're going to need help from guys like Joey Logano or Alex Bowman or even Martin Truex Jr. to have a bad day or just not get stage points um, to help them advance. So while a win would certainly be great for Austin Dillon, um, he doesn't technically need one, but he's an intriguing play. Um, the guy I like better, though, is Alex Bowman. Um, he was my contrarian play in the track breakdown. Um, he's finished in the top five here both times that they've run the race. Yeah. And he's actually a sneaky good uh, road course racer. He's got seven top 15 r- finishes in the last seven road races he's run um so and he actually talked about he was going to talk to chase elliott to get some pointers 
on this course. So, you know, for for uh, a guy who's feeling motivated getting handed the uh, 48 car, I actually really quite like Alex Bowman this week. All right, next row. If you're not playing Chase Elliott, uh, your other lineup or your fade Elliott line needs to have Martin Truex Jr. in it. 10,300 is – it's going to be – if he's not leading laps, it could be tough to pay off only because the position differential is is – it's there. But, I mean, he's only got, like, what, seven spots of PD. So he, he would really need to go out and dominate and possibly win the race. So it's Yeah, but, again, we've got to adjust the way we look at values – here because there's um, more laps than typical road races well no just because it's a road race so it tends to be tougher to hit values like for example the last two races on the roval there's only been four combined drivers to crack 50 dk points there's been two in each race everybody else has been 49 or below so anybody that's like 9500 dollars or more isn't going to hit value unless they happen to be Chase Elliott, who scored 87, almost 88 points last year. But again, he started 19th, won it, and led 35 laps with 30 fastest laps. So that's a dominating performance. But if you look at Kevin Harvick, he started 6th, finished 3rd, led 34 laps with 13 fastest laps, put up 59 points. Those were the only two dudes to crack 50 points. So while we typically look at the 5x values those are a little bit deflated this week simply because the dominator points aren't as big so you can't rack up the bonus points and finish position is going to be a heavy part of the uh point total so how do you feel about logano starting right next to truex um i mean i not clearly... as good as you felt last week <laughs> uh yeah i mean logano is an okay road racer um, he's not to Truex's level because, by the way, in the last eight races, we said Chase Elliott's won four of them. Well, Martin Truex Jr. won three of the other four. So, and I think he finished second to Chase Elliott twice at Watkins Glen. Um, so Truex is is right there with Chase Elliott in terms of average finish and laps led and his skill at road courses and um and whatnot. So. But there is a significant price difference between the two because Logano is $1,000 cheaper than Truex on DK, and he's $1,400 cheaper than him on FanDuel. So um, if you want to go a bit more contrarian, then Logano would be your play. Um, but I don't I mean, the safer play is, is Truex. Uh, the next row, we've got the Bush brothers. Kyle is 9500 Kurt is 8400 Are we even entertaining the idea of playing Kurt this week? Uh, he's already got a win. He's already into the round of eight. Yeah, how aggressive do we really expect him to be? Uh, not very aggressive. I figured. It, it, it all. I mean, I'd sprinkle him in there because he's, you know, good for solid finishes. He's got five top tens in the last eight road races. So if you're banking on a solid finish from him, that's what you're going to get. And in $8,400, that's not a terrible strategy. Um, the guy I'm actually really off of this week is actually Kyle Busch. I've, yeah, because I've had uh, about enough of Kyle Busch this year. He hasn't seemed very interested in racing, and he's even come out and said he's like, "Yeah, I'm probably not making it out of the round of 12." Yeah, and, and then his his post Talladega crash interview was again. He basically reiterated the fact that he's not going to make the next round, and the reason why 
is he crashed out at the Daytona Road Course earlier this year and finished like 37th. At the two Roval races that they've run, the first year he finished 32nd, they had suspension issues. And last year, I believe he finished like 37th or 38th. That was the one where he actually pulled off the track under a red it flag. Quit. Yeah. And quit with like yep. three laps to go because he claimed he was not going to get in anybody's way or whatever. But I think it's because he was just fed up and quit because Kyle Busch has had a history of doing that. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, he's under 10 grand, but what has he gotten you this year? Like, nothing. Basically nothing. It's, it's a lost year. Um, so I don't like his, his attitude and here, if the setup isn't right, you've got very few opportunities to fix it. So considering the fact that the last three hybrid races that they've run, they haven't cracked the top 32. I'm just going to, if it bites me this week, it bites me this week, but I'm not paying $9,500 for Kyle Bush at this point. I'm just not. All right. Good enough. Good enough. Uh, let's move on to the next row. Clint Boyer. Uh, he's only got five races left in his cup career. He's lining up. Uh, he's 8,800 and he's 11,300 on Fanduel, which is kind of high. Uh, 7,800 and lining up next to him is Eric Almarola. Not particularly crazy about anyone here, but I'll get a little exposure to Boyer. And yeah. you know what? For that matter, I'll get a little exposure to Almarola as well. Um, a little I bit mean, of- Almarola needs a win to right. move on. Because he's he's in twelfth right now. He's forty eight points below the cut line. Boyer needs a win as well. He's thirty eight points, so he doesn't necessarily need it. But he's going to have to basically finish first in both stages, and then finish probably in the top four, and then get some help if he wants to point his way in, which I don't see happening. So he's essentially in a um, must win situation. Boyer has actually been kind of a sneaky good road racer. Mm-hmm. Of late, he's got three top tens in the last four races on road courses. Um, his last, the two races at the Roval, he started fifth and finished fourth last year. And the year before that, he started seventh and finished third. So if you want to get some exposure to Boyer on a track that, you know, he might fly under the radar a bit, then yeah, I'm all for Clint Boyer this week uh, for right. sure. But Almarola, not quite so much. Okay. Uh, moving on to the non-playoff drivers, uh, Eric uh, Eric Jones and William Byron line up in the next row. Byron is eighty six hundred. Jones is eighty two hundred. I haven't had a feel about either of these guys. Yeah, I, and I haven't looked up the driver averages for either guy on, on road courses, but neither of them really stands out to me. I'd much rather go to someone in the next row, like Ryan Newman, or even like Ryan Priest is only fifty four hundred and it has more position differential upside. Yeah, I mean, I just I just kind of don't know what to feel about either one of these guys this week. Um, I don't know. You can make the argument that Jones is the better road racer. He's got five top tens in the last eight road races. Um, at the Roval, they're about even because Eric Jones has, um, or in the last four, rather, Jones has a top five. Um, and Byron has two top tens, but I mean, I think they're okay plays. I don't think they're going to kill you. I don't think they're going to like break the slate either. So that's kind of how I'm seeing them. Uh, what about the next row with Ryan Newman and, uh, Tyler Reddick Newman, 6,400. Um, 
this seems like a race where I kind of want to get exposure to Newman, but at the same time, we just haven't really seen good runs from him this year, uh, from him this year. Yeah, he has not been our PD darling like he was last year. Right. And I don't know if that's residual from the wreck at Daytona. I don't know if it's residual from the fact that he came back from that and there's basically no practice and no qualifying. So he just gets to hop in the car and go. Um, I don't know, but he, he, he hasn't seemed to be that like fierce, super hard to pass competitor that we've seen in the past. Um, now, that being said, in the first Roval race, he started 29th and finished 11th. Now, the problem with judging strictly off of that is that there was a ton of crashes in the first Roval race because nobody really knew what the heck they were getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as you didn't wreck, you basically moved up pretty well. Um, in last year's uh, Roval race, though, he started 24th and finished 32nd. Um, he was on the lead lap, but clearly did not have a very good car. Um so, I mean, I think he's all right in GPPs at that price. Because um, if he can hold that position, then he's golden. Um, Tyler Reddick, I don't know. I think this is a big ask for Tyler Reddick. Do you think it's just like you're kind of worried because it's his first time at the Roval in a cup car? Yeah. And he tends to be a little lead-footed, and that doesn't really work so well on road courses. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I think he did okay at the road courses in Xfinity, but um, I mean, he did all right at the Daytona road course earlier this year, finishing 18th. He didn't really move up anywhere, though. He started 18th and finished 18th. Um, So, yeah, that's, you know, that kind of so-so. What about the next row? Uh, One of our favorite drivers to target for PD this year, especially uh, Ty Dillon is 5,700. Not particularly the greatest uh, position differential here. Um, however, you know, still has a little bit upside. And Ryan Priest is fifty four hundred, uh, forty five hundred dollars on Fanduel. And Priest is always Priest is a guy that I kind of learned my lesson the hard way because I was playing him a lot earlier in the year when he was wrecking out, and I just haven't gone back to him since. Although I still want, I, I still want to believe, like you know, he's he's like the X Files for me. Yeah, I. And now there's rumors spreading that Priest is going to go back to the Xfinity because he's going to get out of a, he'll be out of the cup car. And I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen with Priest going forward here. Um, My only issue with Ty Dillon this week is that he's starting higher than we usually see him. And that's only because they based the starting spots off of last week's finishes. Mm -hmm. And so if you managed a solid finish at Talladega, then you're going to get a solid starting spot at, um, the Roval. So that kind of hurts Ty Dillon a little bit, but at 5,700 on DK and 5,000 on FanDuel, if he just holds that spot, he's worth it. Um, Priest, I mean, his average finish over the last five races this season, regardless of style, has been 15th. Um, so if he pulls that off, then, yeah, he's also worth that starting. You know, they give you a few spots of PD. Um, but that's my only downside to Ty Dillon, is that he's actually starting higher than we'd like to see him. Right. Uh, next row, John Hunter, Nima Rick, $6,000, $4,500 in FanDuel. Matt DiBenedetto, $7,993. Uh, 
De Benedetto, especially in a Wood Brothers car, we've thought about him as a, it's a really good super speedway car. It's a good short track car. And he looked pretty good on mile and a half. But what can we expect from him on a road course? He's actually pretty good at road courses. I'm looking at his PD and he tends to move up pretty well here. Yeah, he does have four top 15s in the last four road races. And I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if you go back a couple of years to Sonoma, he had a P4 at Sonoma. Mm. Uh, a couple of years ago, he was not obviously in the 21 car um, at that point. So, yeah, he's actually a pretty a pretty solid road racer. Um, he's pretty well pumped up after the news finally finding out that he's going to be back in the 21 car because the guy literally races for his life every single weekend. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to play a pretty decent amount of Matt DiBenedetto. He's starting, like, almost 20th and he's still less than 8k on on dk um so yeah if he can go get seven spots of pd which is about what he averages yeah get you just outside the top 10 that's a great day for for maddie d there all right uh chris busher 6900 nice uh brennan pool next row any exposure here chris busher maybe um but i do wish he was a little bit cheaper yeah i actually have chris busher as my tier three uh, play in the track breakdown if you look under the core driver uh, by tier section there um i really do like chris busher uh at road races um he's posted eight top 20 finishes in the last eight races his average finish of 14th is pretty solid um so starting where he's starting he can still get you some pd um and in terms of his 72.1 driver rating is the best in the guys that are surround in kind of that salary range there. So that's kind of an important thing to notice. Um, yeah, I'm not going to have really any exposure to Brennan Poole. Um, that, that just doesn't, he just, the only reason he's starting this high is because he manages, he managed to somehow avoid the wrecks for the most part of Talladega. So he's, he's bumped up in the starting spots, but I expect him to go backwards pretty quickly. All right, next row. Uh, next row. Uh, finally, someone that we can confidently say that we're playing, although the price tag is high. But Matt Kenseth is sixty-two hundred on DraftKings. But Ryan Blaney, starting P twenty-four, ten thousand nine hundred. Uh, a good play. I don't. I don't think is. He's he's no Chase Elliott or Martin Truex Jr. by any by any means. But he has he has PDF one here. here, and he has yes, that's true. Although technically, it was he was running third and the. First and second guys just crashed out, but mm -hmm. he does have a win here. Um, yeah, he's the most expensive driver on DK because of the place differential that he theoretically possesses. His average finish is 11th over the last four road races. Um, three of those have been inside the top 10. We already talked about it. he has a win in the first uh, Roval race. So, you know, he's he's a very good plate racer. Um He's going to be the Penske driver that has the most exposure, for sure, um, simply because of PD and the fact that he's basically the best road racer in that stable. Um, yeah, that's, that's you know, don't have to really elaborate there on Blaney. I'm not going to touch Matt Kenseth. Um, I mean, there's just no reason to. He's not very good at road races recently. Uh, the 42 car just hasn't really done anything recently either. Um, and he, he's just 
basically wishing he could get back to Wisconsin as soon as possible at this point. Um, I mean, he's been okay recently, I guess. He's got five top 20s, but I don't think that that's going to happen for him at a road course. Uh, how are you feeling about Bubba Wallace this week? He's lining up in the next There's row. There's right six... turns, right? What's that? There are right turns on this course? There are right turns on this course. Yeah, so no to Bubba Wallace. He's not he's not great at uh, road racing. Although I will say, doing a little bit of um, extra research here this week, um, either Wednesday night or Tuesday night, they had a happy hour. NASCAR.com had a happy hour practice with Bubba Wallace, Joey Logano, and Daniel Suarez. And either their spotters or crew chiefs were with them, and they were they were basically doing the roval on iRacing and kind of trying to essentially practice. And you had Steve Letarte hosting it and asking questions and whatnot. And mm-hmm. at one point early in the session, I will say about 10 minutes into the hour-long session, Bubba Wallace had the fastest lap on the track. So he was pretty excited about that, but then the next one he wound up spinning out because he got too excited about the previous good lap. Um he has not yet figured out the trick to making right turns very well. He will readily admit that to you. In fact, when <laughs> he tweeted out about the six cup races at road courses next year, mm-hmm. and he was like, somebody didn't consult me on this one. Um, so, yeah, he, he's – we're going to leave him alone this week, and hopefully he'll prove us wrong. Um, Quinn Hoff, Timmy Hill, those guys we don't really have to pay attention to either. Because their equipment's just not good. Copy. All right. Uh, wait. So, sorry, you said Quinn Hoff and Timmy Hill. Yeah, I kind of they were sandwiched on either side of Bubba Wallace in the starting grid there. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, what about Cole Custer? We're starting to get into the garbage drivers. But however, there are some guys starting at the very back that we should consider at least. Yes, uh, I think Cole Custer's worth a look. Um, I think he's been okay at road courses. Um, that 41 car has performed pretty well in the past at road courses. Um, you know, last year, um, it still did, it still did pretty decently. Um, so he's worth a look in some GPPs, not overly, um, excited about it, but he's, he's a GPP dart throw type guy. Joey Gase, not worth it. Jimmy Johnson, 9,100, really good PD. Jimmy Johnson does have really nice position differential. Um, obviously, we're getting down to the last five races. He's going to be on a in a cup car for at least on a full-time basis. Uh, his average finish in the last four road courses is 10th. Um, like I said, he almost won the first Roval race before he spun Martin Truex Jr. out, and they wound up finishing um, not really all that great. <laughs> well, actually, JJ saved it, I guess, for an eighth place finish in the first one, and he finished ninth in the second one. So he's got uh, two top tens here. Can he get back to the top ten this week? Right. Uh, I don't know. He doesn't necessarily have to do that to hit the value here at ninety one hundred. But um, yeah, if he gets a top fifteen, he's worth it. And then the guy starting behind him or next to him, Michael McDowell is really interesting to me this week. 
really yeah but i mean like before the podcast you were saying you know it just becomes a question of if we want to pay 8100 for michael mcdowell yeah i mean so here's the question if i told you if if i if, if you forget the price and i say michael mcdowell in the last four road courses has an average finish of 14th uh, PD of 6.3. He's got four top 20 finishes. Mm-hmm. He's got six top 20s in the last eight. And his average finish is 16 and a half, and he's starting like 30th. You'd go, great, let's play him. And then you go, well, Michael McDowell's $8,100. Okay, but he's still worth it because those stats back it up. Right. It's the problem that you don't, we don't assume, we don't associate Michael McDowell with being $8,100. It's like last week when Brendan Gong was $9,500 at Talladega. Turned out not to be worth it because Brendan Gong got caught up in one of the 13 cautions. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really have a problem playing Michael McDowell for mid-tier price for a guy that is probably going to get you 15 spots a place differential. How do you feel about the joy? 5800 on DK, 3500 Not the greatest road racer. And honestly, uh <laughs> seems like he's in a little bit of trouble because I don't think he has a ride next year, and I'd be surprised to see him in the cup level next year. Yeah, at this point, I don't know where the math winds up going for him in terms of going to um, a ride. There is some rumors he might wind up in the 37. Interesting. Which would be Ryan Priest no longer being in the 37. Mm-hmm. Um so we'll kind of have to see where that goes. Do I think he's done enough to unseat Priest? Probably not. I'd probably right. still take Priest over LaJoy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's okay. Um, one guy I wanted to ask, well, two guys I wanted to ask you about. I guess there's still three guys we're talking about. Christopher Bell, James Davison, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. <laughs> Davidson, Davidson, I'm okay with only because like earlier in the year they wanted him to run a super speedway without practice. He's and also an Australian open wheel road course racer. Correct. So he did well at the at the road at the Daytona road course. This is definitely a track that he's much more comfortable with. Ricky, I mean, he's yeah, literally I mean, he can't finish. He can't worse. go backwards. He can't, he can't go, go backwards. backwards. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll take a shot on Ricky. Bell, I'm a little bit worried about only because it goes back to the just the notion of Xfinity guys at the cup level at this track. I mean, there's there's position differential with all. I'll probably, I think I'll probably play the happy hour, and I'll try to get exposure to each of them just because at road courses it is pretty vital to target position differential despite the fact that there are more laps here. Right. Um, but Davison at 5500 is pretty hard to pass up considering this this right. is a track that's right up his alley. It should be, yeah. I mean, like I said, it, in the I guess the what two thirds of the way through the Daytona road course, he was still running in the top 10 and then he had yeah. some pit exactly that shuffled him back. But the guy is a road course racer. He knows what he's doing. Um, so out of those three price wise, it's hard to say no to Davison cause he's $2,000 cheaper than bell and $2,200 cheaper than Stenhouse on DK. Right. Uh, what do you think of Suarez this week? <laughs> um, Cause he's like a bad habit. I can't quit. <laughs> he's, he's a bad habit. I never really picked up to be completely honest. Um, that's why he's my bad habit. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'd never play him. I think the car's trash and he had an, he awful does have a sweet team. paint scheme 
going on this week, though. Does that make him a better road course No, racer? I'm just pointing out he does have a sweet paint scheme from Coca-Cola. Um, the car has a Serape on it, mm-hmm. um, which is traditional uh, Mexican dress. Because um, it's, I guess it's Hispanic Heritage Month, I think, is what they yes. were saying. Um, and he's certainly pumped to get a new ride next year. Um, can't be any worse than the car he's been in this year. But yeah, out of those four, five names, I'd probably rank them Davison one, Stenhouse two, Bell three. I might swap Bell and Stenhouse, but I mean, it's it's splitting hairs, really. It's splitting hairs. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's it's basically what we got for you. All right. Um, yeah, good stuff as always. Like it, it was, it wasn't. I'm pretty tired. Like I do apologize for not having as much energy as I normally do. Uh, we'll try to get Ed on soon for another podcast, and I'll wake my ass up. Uh, yeah, I'm dragging right now, but yeah, um, but we'll we'll see because maybe his mood's defeated based on the Padres. He's a Padres fan, and they were not doing very well tonight against the Dodgers. We'll need to pick me up next week. Yeah, you know okay. it's it's back to a mile and a half next week, so. Um, so with that, I mean, any last strategy notes, like we've said, I mean, position differential is pretty key here. Finish position is going to be a huge stat key stat you want to look at in the track breakdown. Uh, top 15 rate is going to be pretty big over the last four and eight races at road courses. Um, obviously average finishes there, but another one you should probably pay attention to is average driver rating. Um, cause that's a pretty t- cumulative stat for how a guy drives throughout the race and then it's averaged over the course of that span basically they take into account where you are every single lap of each of those races and it tallies up um and obviously the higher uh the better so those are going to be two key stats to look at this week um again don't pay too much attention to valuations because we don't really do that on road courses simply because there's not enough laps to rack up the dominator points that really get you over the 5x mark. Um, and yeah, watch the weather. It might rain. That'll be an added little fun bonus there. I mean, it's fun for me because I get to watch it. it. I'm sure it's not fun for the drivers who have to drive in it. Um, yeah, so that that's kind of the strategy built. I love it. I can get around it. I'll try and translate that uh, into the Xfinity playbook as well. Again, I won't be in the chat on Saturday, not until 4 p.m., definitely maybe 3.15. But, Matt, as always, thank you for your time. Best of luck to you, and best of luck to the FA Nation. Best of luck, FA Nation.